Amen. Look at all those nice young people. We're going to pray for them as they are leaving because they're all going to be going to school here real soon. And I'm sure every teacher, staff worker, uh, student needs help through school, right? And uh, why don't we stand to do that? While you're thinking, while you're standing, I'm going to just let you know that this is Community Sunday. I didn't know if you'd notice it, but when you came into the building, hopefully you could smell the food cooking out there. And the cost, unbelievable. Why do we do it? To build community. So it's $5 a person, $250 for uh, children uh, up to 10 and, 10 and under is free, isn't it? $250. $250. No, there's, there's some that are free too. I don't know which ones. You'll, fi- you'll figure that out. Uh, it's cost effective, believe me. It's being heavily subsidized. I'll just let you know that. So um, yeah, we, we want you to build relationships. So let's pray for our teachers, our staff that's going to go back to school in the coming days. Uh, how many know, I'm concerned about children, deeply concerned because they're the future of our, of our nation, of our communities, and uh, what they're receiving at school, that's a key idea. They're being, you know, basically taught. And so let's pray that God's hand would be upon this, the teachers this year. Some of them are Christians. You can imagine how challenging it is for them as well. So let's pray for them. Lord, I thank you this morning. Uh, I believe that children are dear to your heart. And I just pray right now that you would watch over those that are teaching, those that are staff, those that are students, Lord, those that are parents. Some are homeschooled, some are in private school, some are in the public school. Lord, you know exactly what each child needs. And I just ask, Lord, that you would intervene, that you would orchestrate uh, godliness in our nation. I don't know how you're going to do it. I know I'm asking for the impossible, but you're the God of the impossible. So I just pray today that you would do amazing things in the days ahead, Father, that we would see transformation uh, in our nation, and it may it begin right there in the school, Lord. May we see a great move of the Spirit. May we see high schools come experience revival. I'm just believing for the supernatural this year to invade our community, Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of James. And we're going to talk a little bit about two words that every Christian will discover somewhere in their journey, trials and temptations. Anybody experience any trials in life? Anybody experience any temptation in life? Okay, I'm talking to the right audience. It applies to all of us. I think it's amazing to me how many of God's people have been in prison. Paul himself was persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, left for a couple of years awaiting trial. Joseph was trapped in prison after being falsely accused with no appeal, forgotten by the one person who might be able to help him. Then we're reminded of Jesus himself. Again, falsely accused, imprisoned, crucified. John the Baptist, imprisoned later beheaded. James was imprisoned and put to death by sword. How many getting a picture that, you know, sometimes following Christ, it's quite costly. It could cost us our lives. Actually, I think it does. Peter, who was in prison, was actually supernaturally released by an angel. And we know that Paul wrote some of his most important letters from a prison cell. So what seemed to be a bad thing in the end became a phenomenal thing because you and I are the beneficiaries of those amazing letters. And we could go on to talk about people like John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress by spend, while spending 12 years in prison, simply because he was not licensed to preach the gospel, and he preached the gospel anyways. I thought that's amazing. 
Now, I know the list is long and lengthy, and there's a lot of countries in our world today that the pressure to the believer is very great, and many of them are being imprisoned today just because of their faith in Christ. So how does a person maintain a right and godly attitude in fine hope in seemingly hopeless situations? And I know that there are people in our own church family right now who are walking through times such as these. Um, many of you maybe even feel somewhat trapped in your current situation in life. And I'm not speaking about being literally trapped or being in prison, but maybe feeling imprisoned or trapped by circumstances, commitments, and responsibilities. I think other people are trapped in unhealthy bodies, suffering with debilitating disease, like Job who was trapped in a body enduring extreme suffering while those who were the closest to him were actually falsely judging him. Isn't that, you know, it's, it's difficult when you're down, but then people to come down on you while you're down, that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? And Job certainly knew that. You know, they were telling him that he was sick because he had sinned against God. But when you read the book, the first chapter tells you that's not true. Job was actually probably one of the God, godliest people, uh, God, yeah, godly person that was available. He was described as being without blame before God. How would you like to have that as your moniker? God says to you, yeah, you're without blame. That's a pretty nice statement. And then I've kind of wondered over the years how many people have told Joni Erickson Tata that God was going to heal her when, as a 17-year-old, she had a tragic accident and became a quadriplegic. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, she was crying out to God to heal her body as well. But God gave her a different answer. And I think there's two sides to wisdom. One is the moment where God does miraculously heal people and raise them up, deliver them. And then there's other people that God gives a totally different answer. And we're going to look at that different answer today. And it's not maybe the one we want, but it's equally as powerful and sometimes even more dynamic. Because I think jo Joni has really made a great impact on the Christian community. For all the people who have experienced God's healing in their body, I say others have continued to suffer and who have prayed and asked God to deliver them. But God gave grace to sustain them, which is a totally different answer. And the question arises in her mind when that happens, why? Why does God you know, deliver some and you know, allow others to go through difficulty? And when you read the book of Hebrews, you actually see that in chapter 11. In verse 35, there's a dividing line. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. It says, by faith, God did all of these things to these people, and by faith, these other people suffered. But it was the same faith. And I think sometimes when we tell people they don't have enough faith, I think we've given them a very superficial and actually an unbiblical response to what you're, you're seeing. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not people that uh, for wrong reasons have become sick. Maybe it's lifestyle-related. And God allows us to be disciplined when we have those kind of issues in our lives. I think other people struggle with financial issues or maybe relational issues. And then there are some that are just, as I wrote here, trapped in difficult marriages, families, and jobs. And they just can't seem to escape those situations. And I think all of us know the plight of a person who's a single parent and trying to, you know, hold things together, working and not having the time for their family the way they'd like to, and maybe not having the affirmation, encouragement, and support. Because I think today, raising children is a very challenging job, and it, even with two people doing it, it's a challenge, let alone one person trying to do it. 
And so I think some of you could today could relate to the cry of the psalmist. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment in your life, but I've certainly experienced it and reflected this very cry in the Psalm 55, 6, when it says, Oh, that I'd have the wings of a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Anybody here would like to escape your present situation? You know, I know Albertans, we tend to do that. We fly off to some exotic place for a week. But I'm talking about actually finding rest. It says, I would flee far away and stay in the desert. Here's somebody that says, I really want out of my situation. That's their cry. I would, I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. This is a cry of someone who is in a great deal of distress. So what do we do when we feel trapped, when our circumstances seem to hem us in and there's no way out? There's just no way. We're stuck. We're stuck in a very difficult time. Well, the Apostle Paul obviously had that experience in his life. And in 2 Corinthians, he describes it this way. In chapter 12, verse 7, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, I know there's been disputes. What is the thorn? Some have argued that it's persecution. Some have argued that it's a medical issue. It doesn't really matter what it is. The issue is he was tormented and he was praying, God, deliver me from this situation. And God gave Paul an answer that many times is a similar answer that he gives to us. And he said, three times I pleaded the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is an answer. My grace is enough. We just sang this. It's enough. You're enough. My grace is enough, God says. I'm gonna reveal my power in your weakness. Isn't that something that God can do that? He can take our weaknesses and reveal his power and glory through those situations. So let's take a look at the book of James here. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing a letter to fellow believers that have been scattered all over the Mediterranean basin who were undergoing great persecution and difficulty. And he begins his letter this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Here in chapter one, we discover two primary areas we feel trapped and struggle with. And the first one is simply the outward circumstances of life, things that are hard to bear, things that are pressing in on us from the outside, things we can't have any control over. Uh, and, it, and it seems that life is unfavorable. It seems unjust and unfair. Someone just mentioned that to me. And it's true. There is much injustice in our world today, and we know that that's true. But James begins in a very interesting place. You know, when you can't change your circumstances, there is one thing you have control over. It's your attitude. Look at what he says here. It starts with our attitude. We need to win the battle going on in our minds. And in verse two, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I had a little epiphany when I was looking at this verse. You know, I've, I've looked at this verse a lot, and I've thought about this verse, but it just kind of struck me this week in a very powerful way. And it, and it goes like this. It's something we have to choose to do. Consider it pure joy. You have to decide to change how you're looking at your problem. It starts with our minds. I'm gonna make a decision. I gotta stop looking at it through the lens of pain. I gotta stop looking at my problems through the lens of sorrow and suffering and difficulty. And the tendency then is to move into a state of self-pitying. 
Come on. Isn't that true? We do go there. And I think that's a dangerous place to go because then, you know, we get, you know, we're down, we're discouraged, we're frustrated, we're in despair, we wonder what's going to happen, and uh, we, we stop really trusting God. We're actually more hurt and angry, and we get upset with God himself. Now, Greek word here that Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, James is using is a word that talks about many kinds of trials. Notice how he says it here, uh, facing trials of many kinds. Now, and speaking here of, of trials that are diverse, complex, and intricate. Now, it's interesting that the word for many in the, the, the verse there, verse two for trials, here in First Peter is the word various. Now, look what it says here. Everyone should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What he's describing here is the grace of God while James is describing the what? The trials. And that word various and the other word uh, many is the same Greek word. And what I kind of put to my mind is simply this, that for every trial, there's a grace. Are you following this? See, I think a lot of times we look at grace as saving grace. It's the grace that God gives me that I don't deserve. God gives me something that I need that I don't earn, I don't deserve it, I get it. But here's what I'm gonna say, that every trial that God allows to come into our lives, there's a grace to come with it. And sometimes we lose sight of the grace. Are we following what I'm saying? So here we have the trial, but God doesn't just allow the trial to come. He's sending us the grace for us in the trial. There is a grace there for us. I think that is exciting. So now we can begin to look at our trial a little differently. We can say, first of all, God's grace is here somewhere. You know, I need to begin to understand what is it that God is actually doing and allowing in this situation. Now, some of us sometimes wonder, why does God let trials come our way? Isn't that a great question? And some of them are very painful trials and very challenging trials and very difficult trials. They seem unfair, and many times they are. So why is it that they come to a point where that even seems overwhelming? And it does. You know, you may, may be wondering, well then, you know, uh, they're beyond my ability, and now I'm despairing. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're listening today, and you're going, I just feel overwhelmed with life right now, Pastor. I feel in a state of absolute discouragement and despair. I, I feel like I, I'm not even coping anymore. How do I even cope with what's happening in my life? What am I supposed to do? Okay, it's a great question. And I'm glad we're raising that question, because I think the Bible is realistic about life. And it addresses times and situations that seem beyond us. And the Apostle Paul brings up one in the same letter, in 2 Corinthians. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Now, what's he saying? This is beyond us. I, I, I can't even handle this. This is way beyond my, my pay grade, God. I'm struggling here. I'm drowning, you know? He, so, so that we even despaired so that we despaired even of life. Now, how many 
I don't know what you think about Paul, but I always look at Paul. He just seems to have it all together. He's so, you know, he, he just knows what to do. He's just such a great model of a mature Christian. But here I'm reading, he's telling us he's being authentic and he's, he, he's being vulnerable. He's sharing his heart and he's saying, listen, we were, we were it was beyond us. It was beyond our ability to endure. You know, a lot of times we say, well, God's not gonna let anything happen to us that we can't handle. And Paul is arguing against that position. He's gonna, God's gonna allow things to come that'll be beyond us. And you say, well, why would God do that? Why would God allow things like that to happen to us if he really cares about us? That's what goes through our mind. Um, the simple answer, well, he, he says it here. Indeed, our hearts... Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened. Now he's telling us the reason, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what's the problem in our lives, primarily? We rely on ourselves. And the greatest problem in North America, and the greatest problem in a place that has this much affluence like where we live, is self-sufficiency. We tend to rely on ourselves and we rely on our abilities and we rely on our resources. But you know, there comes places in our lives where none of that matters anymore. God just strips us somehow. You know, some, uh, disease can hit us. Uh, relationship, somebody walks out on us. We didn't plan that. You know, I've, I don't know how many people come into my office crying because their spouse left them and they don't want it to end and the other person doesn't want it to, re to go. And they're broken. You know, and I, and I realize it takes two people to make a marriage work. And what do you say to the person that says, you know, I, I don't understand. You know, I don't get what's going on here. Where's God in all this? You see? But God is trying to do something in our lives. He's trying to break us of this self-reliant spirit. You know, He goes on, you know, I just put the simple answer is that we stop looking to ourselves and others and begin to rely on God in a way we have never relied on him before. Sometimes the greatest hour of trial brings us to a greatest degree of trust in God we've ever had before. We're never the same after that. We are now a new person. You know, remember, I've said this before. I think I said it last week. You, you know, you and I are not what we once were. You know, but we are not gonna be what we are currently. God's gonna keep changing us. He's gonna make us more like Christ. And how does he do that? He allows pressure to come into our lives. That's how he does it. Next thing I notice that Paul says here is there's a need to be a part of a praying community of believers, especially during times of trials. Our one expression of God's grace is the gift of God's praying people. Isn't that beautiful? That you have other people with you praying. And I've noticed one thing about prayer. Prayer, actually, when you start praying with people, it develops a bond that you've never had before. It creates a new level of intimacy. It robs people of a certain perception because the moment we start praying, the first thing we recognize is we, we begin with our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our needs. We're talking to God. It, it, it eliminates a lot of pretense and it eliminates a lot of ideas that people are somehow superior. There's no superior people. We're all human beings struggling with the same things. And when we start praying, it really becomes real to us. And then you start hearing the cry of people. Everybody is challenged by something. And we're all praying for something. And then we begin to bond together. There's a, a deep love that emerges between people. That's why I always you know, say to you know, husbands and wives, most important thing you do is pray with your spouse. We need to do that. We need to work at that level of uh, bonding at that high level. A lot of people are fighting with each other instead of praying with each other. 
And that creates all kinds of problems. Notice he says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver. So in other words, past tense, Paul said, God did deliver us and God continues to deliver us and God will continue to deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Isn't that interesting? Deliverance is tied to prayers. Deliverance is tied to this community of faith that's praying, that we're praying together for a reason. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Yes, God wants to build community. And you know, yeah, it's great. We try to build it with food, which is okay. It's biblical. But the greatest way to build community is praying together. You know, that's why we have seasons of fasting in our church, times of prayer. Why? We're trying to build community. When we start coming together and praying, something starts happening. We start hearing each other's hearts. We start getting to know each other on a totally different level. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they join clubs, but it's all superficial. You don't really know necessarily know a person's heart, but when you start praying with people, you get to know their hearts. That's powerful stuff. The other thing we learn through trial is, it change, you know, one of the things that uh, trials can, that, that will help us in our trials is changing our perception of the value of a trial. A lot of us don't see its value. We don't appreciate struggle. We don't appreciate pain and reversal. We want an easy path. Let's all be honest here. We want a comfortable life. We want a convenient life. We want a no-hassle life. How many here, that's the way you want? That's what you'd like, right? Come on, let's be all honest. Let's raise our hands. How many here say, yeah, I'm a Marine. I want the toughest path. I want the hardest road. I want pain. I want suffering. I want grit, dirt. I mean, make it hard on me, right? We're all signing up for this. You know? No. We're saying, where's the easy road? Where's the comfort? Where's the you know, lazy boy? That's the kind of life we want to live, but God goes, I'm not giving you that kind of life. That's not what it's about. I don't think we appreciate it. James says we got to change our thinking. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind. So I think we see trials in the wrong way. Well, how does James see a trial? Well, here's the value of a trial because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, how do you develop in your walk with God? Go through trial. You go, what? That's right, that's part of it. You learn how to pray better. You learn how to pray a little more intensely. You know, I notice that when people are really going through trials, their prayer lives go up. Come on, how many can you have to admit here, the harder the trial, the prayer life is moving at a higher level. You know, when things are going too good, you can easily neglect really praying a lot. You know, I'm just cruising along, right? But I'll tell you, when you got pressure, you start praying. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God actually has a different agenda than you and I. Anybody figured that out yet? You know, we're telling God what we want, and God goes, yeah, but that's not what I want. Here's my goal for you. I'm gonna make you more like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? I wanna make you more forgiving. So how do you have to become more forgiving? How do you get to do You get to practice forgiveness. How many really enjoy practicing forgiveness? Most of us say, don't sign me up for that one, Pastor. I don't, I don't like to have to practice forgiveness, you know? I'm just telling you, this is the, the way God works at it. He allows things to come into our lives, you know, so that we develop our faith. We become more like Jesus. Alex Moyer says something very interesting 
uh, he says, we, we, we say that we believe that God is our Father, but as long as we remain untested on the point, our belief falls short of steady conviction. Now, how many here, when you were in school, you really liked exams? Raise your hands. Anybody like tests? Okay, good, one person. Uh, oh, some people are smart, they enjoy it. This is a challenge. But let's be honest, most people have got you know, test anxiety, all those kind of things. And why do we get tested? What's the value of a test? To make sure that we learn something. You know, right? Somebody's laying something down, you want to be able to pick it up. They want to make sure you understand what you're hearing. A lot of people, they're going, once you have the test, you go, man, I just found out how little I really knew, right? I sat through class, I was listening, or so I thought I was listening, but I wasn't taking notes. I really wasn't trying to implement this stuff, and boom, the next thing you know, I get a lousy grade. Really getting quiet in here. Okay, so God allows tests to come into our lives because, you know, you and I think we're doing great. Man, I really love God. And then the test comes along going, where's God? You know, like, I'm mad at God. You know, like we get really wound for sound and it doesn't take much. Just a lot of these pressures come into our lives. But suppose the day comes, he says, as it does and will when circumstances seem to mock our creed. In other words, life's situations come along and it seems like everything we said we believed about God, we're now doubting. You know, when the cruelty of life denies his fatherliness. In other words, we're looking around going, why would God let this happen to me? Now this is, I mean, how good can God be when this is happening, right? We kind of go through all these things. His silence calls into question his almightiness and the sheer haphazard, meaningless jumble of events challenges the possibility of a creator's ordered hands. What is he saying? Man, my life is such a mess. Everything's coming randomly at me. Like, what in the world? If God was, you know, like, why is he allowing and doing all of these things? <laughs> and it's in this way that life's trials test our faith for what? genuineness or authenticity. You know, a lot of people say, I have faith. James says, yeah, do you? Let me see it. And how I see it is when I watch how you're handling when life isn't working the way you want it to. That's when we find out how much faith in God you really have. So it's more than just a test of faith. It's part of our, our faith, life, spiritual growth and development. You know, I know some of you probably don't realize this, but I actually do work out. I lift weights, not heavy, but I do lift some weights. I'm trying to keep, you know, my muscles working. You know, when you're doing that, why, are you, why do you do that? To get stronger. So you have resistance. Resistance builds strength, right? And you know, in our Christian life, we don't like resistance. But God says, but I'm trying to get you stronger. You know, I had an experience, I've had lots of experiences. I've had times in my life, I've, I've actually walked through most of what I'm preaching here today. I've lived a lot of this stuff. I know what I'm talking about. This is real, folks. This is, this is what you go through. I, I can remember a whole stretch of years when I was questioning how effective I was as a leader. Some of you go, really? Oh, yeah. You know, especially when you have a lot of reversals, you start saying, you know, am I really that effective? And I remember speaking that one summer at a camp and thinking, you know, I was the problem. Maybe I should step down, let somebody else come in and do a better job. And I went to this camp and we had great response. And I said to God, you mean I'm not the problem? And God, I felt say, no, that's not what this is about. I go, well, what is this about? He goes, I'm teaching you something. Well, what are you teaching me? Endurance. I'm teaching you hardness. I'm teaching you perseverance. I'm teaching you patience. I go, oh, this is not fun. 
See, what I'm saying to you is sometimes the most difficult things in life are meant to develop something inside of us that's lacking, and we need to know that. You know, it's interesting, Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, states the premise or the subtitle of his book, and I love it, he says, what if marriage was designed not to make us happy, but rather to make us holy? You see, I think Hollywood's got it all wrong, and when you keep watching all those movies, everybody goes, well, I guess we don't love each other. You know, it, it, it's so crazy. I, I think Hollywood, you know, what they're, what they're propagating isn't real love. Real love means I'm married to an imperfect person and I'm learning how to love that individual just as they are. Wow, that's a challenging thought. You know, love is developing when we learn to accept people for who they are and not what we want them to be. That's true love. How's that? And here you are praying for God to change your partner. And God is saying, well, what about you? Hello. Just making sure you're awake. I think the strength of a relationship is when we have to go through difficulty together and learn to work through those life-challenging moments rather than tearing each other apart. For me to say I love God and to be indifferent to people is living in self-deception. As actually John says it this way, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Here's two tests. One, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, so doing the right thing is important. And number two, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. In other words, we need to show love towards people. Those are the marks of a true believer, doing the right thing and loving people. It's very simple. But is it that simple? How do we live with difficult people? That's a great question. Well, I think we need to learn to bring our complaints to God and learn how to lament our situations correctly. You know, how many know that, you know, ragging on people, nagging people, chiding people, correcting people all the time, that's not what's going to work. That's not what's going to change people. It's getting quiet in here, I know. Because I'm speaking right to where we're living, right? How about doing what God tells us to do? Pray for those that despitefully use you. Bless them and do good to them. How do you overcome evil? Do good to them. How many have ever had somebody come at you and they were really upset? And they're angry. And they're talking to you, and what you do is respond in kindness. You know what happens? It starts to dissipate the anger on the other side. But what happens sometimes is we get defensive, and when someone's angry at us, we get angry back. What does that do? That just escalates the conflict. Can I just help all of you that are escalating right now? You can de-escalate by doing good things, praying for them, showing kindness to them, listening, trying to understand where they're coming from. Anybody taking notes? This is good stuff, guys. And they're not even in my notes. Uh, I think we also need an attitude adjustment. You know, what I mean by this is, I think sometimes, you know, after we've been praying for deliverance and God isn't answering that prayer, maybe we need to switch our prayer. You say, what do you mean? Well, I think James 1 is telling us another way to pray in the middle of a trial. He says in verse 5, we need to ask God for wisdom. I like what Warren Worsby writes. He says, why do we need wisdom when we're going through trials? For this reason. We need wisdom so that we'll not waste the opportunities God's giving us to mature. In other words, we need to say, okay, God, I'm in the middle of this. Teach me what you want me to learn from this. Oh, and by the way, God, help me to get it so that we don't have to go through this again and again and again and again and again. Have you ever met some people, they just keep doing the same experience over and over and over again? Anybody met people like that? You know, are they getting it? No. So why don't we ask God to say, hey, 
I'm in the middle of a trial. I've been here before. I don't want to go through it again. Please help me pass the test. Help me to learn what you're trying to teach me in this experience. I don't want to waste it. Aside from being in a dangerous uh, environment, where physical abuse is happening, let me point out that God may be using our trials, our struggles, our sense of being trapped in order to develop God's good grace in our lives. And I find that people who usually run find themselves at the same place again. Anybody notice that? You see, before I was a Christian, I was a young person. Here's my two big things I had to overcome. I, got, I became a Christian. Number one, I was filled with self-pity, okay? Number two, I ran from my problems. When I became a believer, you know what God did? Lesson number one, stop feeling sorry for yourself. I had to learn that. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of focus. Get over it. It's not about you, okay? Number two, face the problem. And you know what I discovered? Running usually makes them get worse. Facing them, facing our fears is really important. When you face them, you realize they're not that great. You thought they were greater than what they are. You ever have days when you go, I don't know how this day is going to go. I'm a little apprehensive about it. And usually what I do is I pray in the morning. When I have those kind of days, I'm looking up and I'm looking at my calendar and going, this is not going to be a good day or an easy day. I find that by just entrusting it to God and facing that day, it's never as bad as I thought it would be. Face your fears. Face the trial. Face the problem. Don't run from it. Face up to it and take responsibility on your side and don't, you know, wimp out. We've got a lot of wimpy people today. We're all living in self-pity. You know, we're all victims. It's all everybody else's fault and nobody's maturing and nobody's growing up. That's the tragedy. Oh, here's the other part. This is, not, this is I like this. I, I threw this in here. You know, the great need today is to learn to be content but content in any and every situation. You see, we think, I'll be content when I win the lotto. I'll be content, you know, when my husband changes or when my spouse changes. You know what I mean? I'll be content when I lose so many pounds. I'll be content. We could just go down a list. When will I be content? I'm gonna give you a, a clue. It's got nothing to do with changing what's happening around you. It's everything to do with changing what's happening in you. Listen to what Paul says. This is my favorite chapter of the Bible, Philippians 4. So many practical things here. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. How many could say, I would love to learn the secret of being content regardless of what's happening in my life? How many go, I'd love to learn the secret? How many would love to learn the secret of always being content? No matter what's happening, contentment. Okay, good, here it comes. Here's the lesson. <clears throat> I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, he's speaking there of your physical circumstances, but I'm even going to talk about your emotional circumstances. I'm going to add it all in, because I think it's the same principle. I'm gonna, he's learned a secret. What's your secret, Paul? Here it comes. I wrote, what's Paul's secret? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ 
who gives me the strength and gives me the grace to handle whatever's coming. So whatever situation I'm in, I go, okay, God, this is my situation. I need your grace for this. We could actually go, we could get up every morning and say, okay, God, I'm gonna need grace for today. You know, some of us were worried about tomorrow. How many here can be honest and say, I'm a worry wart? Anybody worry? Any worriers? Okay, I'm gonna help you. You have no control over tomorrow, so relax. Take three deep breaths. God's in control, okay? I'm helping you out here. God is with you. God is in you. God will give you the strength, and listen to me, whatever you face the next day, God's grace is there for that day. Because what I think when we're worrying, we're trying to rob and take what, you know, we, we, we're taking what we need for today and we're short-circuiting it because, you know, God's not gonna give you grace for tomorrow today. He's gonna give you grace for tomorrow, tomorrow. And he's gonna give you the grace you need for tomorrow, the next day. Whatever day you're in, whatever circumstance you're in, the grace of God is there for you. And so I look at the areas that we're the most challenged in. Finances, medical, and difficult people. Aren't those the biggest trials in our lives? No, they are. I think they are. And what is he telling us? He's telling us God's grace and strength are found in Christ. He will see us through whatever we have to face. Let me move on to the second area. And that's the inward sinful desires, temptation. First is trials, this is temptation. How do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with the inner battle within our soul? We go, Pastor, I can handle the outside stuff. It's the inside stuff that's driving me crazy. I'm my worst enemy. Well, not quite. You know, first of all, we need to understand we have an adversary who's tempt, you know, he's a tempter. So we got that pressure. But then we have a sin nature inside of us. But if I'm a child of God, I have God's nature inside of me too, right? We do. So first lesson that James tells us is God does not tempt us. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, Douglas Moo, who's a New Testament writer, says the Old Testament makes clear that God does test his people in the sense that he brings them into situations where their willingness to obey him is tested. So we're going back to the, I'm back in school, I'm gonna be tested. God's gonna test our faith. He tested Abraham's faith. He says that. When he ordered him to sacrifice his son Isaac, that was a test to his faith. And then Israel, the nation, was tested by, he, by God leaving those surrounding nations because they hadn't done what he said. He left them there to test them, it says. He was testing them. God will test our faith. <clears throat> but what we need to realize is that if we don't have choices to either obey or disobey, it is evident that we're no longer moral agents. See, you and I, I'll say it this way, love is a choice. Love is an action, love is a choice. I choose to love or I choose not to love. I choose to love some things more than other things. How many say that's true? You can love anybody, it's a choice you're making. See, God sets it up so that you and I have to show him. You can say, oh God, I really love you. God says, really? Here, I'll put a test. Boom. Do you love me more than this? Ooh. Do you love me more than money? Do you love me more than work? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than this? Hey, come on now. 
You can tell God you love him all you want to, but God's going, I'm watching what you're doing. Your actions are telling me what you really love. It's a test. Are we seeing it? Okay, it's temptation. We are tempted by our own sinful nature. Hmm. What we need to understand is that when we're, when we're yielding to temptation, we're allowing sin to have dominion over our lives. You see, as a child of God, sin has no dominion over my life unless I yield to it. If I say no to it, <clears throat> then I, I'm not letting it control me anymore. I'm free from it. Are we following what I'm saying here? This is a very important lesson, guys. Listen very carefully. This is going to help a lot of you. There is a power inside of you, the power of God, the resurrected Jesus inside of us that will help us to say no to sin. Okay? Now, he goes on here to say, uh, James says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So he's naming a process. Now, the only person we can blame for temptation of sin is ourselves, and he's basically using a fishing analogy of being lured, and once we take the bait, we're dragged away. Though James does not mention Satan's activity as the tempter, he's trying to make us responsible for our actions. How many see that? Take responsibility. We're in a culture today that says no one's responsible. Wrong. We are responsible moral agents. Douglas Moo goes on to say, desire in itself is not sin. It is only when by a person or by an act of the will assents to its enticements that sin results. Let's be honest. <clears throat> All of us in this room get tempted. Jesus was tempted, guys and gals, but without sin. So when does temptation become sin? That's the question. And here's the answer. When I act on it. How do I act on it? Well, he's giving you a direction. See, Jesus says, if you even think about these things. No, what he means by that statement is, it's not that you have the thought. It's when we camp on those thoughts. See, we need to understand, we need to displace the wrong thinking with the right thinking. That's the power of, of overcoming. And so I want to close with E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones, if we'd have lived 100 years ago, we would know who he is. He actually made Time magazine. Very famous missionary 100 years ago. Amazing, right? He wrote 10 devotionals. He was a missionary to India. One of his devotionals called Victorious Christian Living. A friend of mine edited all of his 10 devotionals. And a number of years ago, we actually gave Victorious Christian Living to all the people in our church one year as a gift. Very powerful. Let me quote something that E. Stanley Jones wrote about temptation. He said, the instincts are the life, are the driving life forces. The stream of life energy flowing through us breaks into three instinctive channels, self, sexuality, and the group. There are several possibilities for these instincts. Straightforward expression, in other words, I just do it. Perversion, repression, suppression, or, which, which is self-control, and redirection. The Christian way of life dismisses perversion and repression. It makes use of the other three. So how does he do that? How does he make use of the other three? You redirect. It's a redirection. Rather than, uh, so he gives an example here of how Paul transformed even his 
sexual drive, okay? I think this is powerful. We need to hear this. Paul was denied a family life and was not unhappy. A lot of people today are unhappy about that. But because he redirected his sexual instinct by being procreative in the higher regions of life, the mind and the spirit, wherever he went, he saw the new birth taking place. He was a spiritual parent. See, what he did was he started to live for a different cause. We have to understand something. We all have these drives inside of us, but how are we going to rechannel those things in the right way? That's what we're talking about here. You know, how are we going to deal with the sense of futility and being overwhelmed by the trials that come our way? How is that going to happen? How will we resist the urge to flee like a dove and run from the place where God seems to have put us? It begins by being honest with God, to lament, to share our hurt and confusion and disappointment. I think that's good. You start out with God, I feel crushed, I feel overwhelmed, I feel you know, devastated, I feel disappointed, I feel robbed, I feel cheated, I feel this, I feel that. I, I, tell God how you feel, you lament it. Read the Psalms, that's what laments are. This is how I feel God. Awful, it's terrible. I'm being honest with myself. I'm being honest with God. I'm looking at the injustice or being hurt by others or feeling betrayed, even maybe by God. But to live in a place of sorrow and self-pity will not empower us to live a victorious life. We must learn to rely on God and God's praying people. We must develop a right attitude and win the battle in our minds by realizing that the thing we think is robbing us of joy is actually the tool that causes us to find contentment and joy in our relationship with God. We must take our God-given energies and redirect them outside of ourselves in serving others. And Jesus shares this paradox and challenge to live for Him and His purposes and not to live a self-centered and selfish purpose. He said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself or herself, take up their cross and follow me. How many go, it's not about us. Then he goes, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. The trial is not our greatest problem. Temptation is not our greatest problem. It's our attitude towards trials and temptation. Let's stand. I'm a few minutes over, but I want to take a, an extra couple minutes. Let me, we you know we showed a video here with uh, Youth Unlimited, but I want to take, I think this is an important moment. Here's what I'm going to say. With every head bowed right now, how many of you are sitting here listening to this going, oh my goodness. I have to confess, Pastor, I am overwhelmed by trials right now. That's you right now. Just raise your hand. I'm overwhelmed by trial or I'm overwhelmed by temptation. That's you. Just raise your hand. Let's be honest before God. You see, I believe there's an answer to our, to our trials. There's an answer for temptation. And when we take God's route, if we go God's path, even though it's a challenging path, we can become victorious. We can actually find joy and contentment in even the most challenging moments in our lives. Because let's, let's be realistic. There are circumstances you and I can't change. How many say that's true, Pastor? I cannot change these circumstances, but I can change my attitude. So how many here right now just like to lift your hand and say, you know what, I want an attitude adjustment, God. I need to change the way I'm seeing things. 
I need to look at it in light of the way you're looking at it. I need to begin to count it joy. I need to have the right attitude. Maybe I'm struggling with my attitude today. Is that you? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray. I need an attitude adjustment. I need to see this right. It's so liberating. How many here say, I struggle with contentment, Pastor. I'm never satisfied. Raise your hand. That's you. I'm going to pray for that. Okay, it's good. People are being honest. It's wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today that you are the God of all grace. And I know there are so many trials, and, you know, life is not fair. And some are, are struggling with these great pressures in their life. It's beyond their ability to handle them, Father. And yet your word declares to us that we should count it all joy. And I just pray that you'll give us the right attitude towards our trials and towards the temptations that come our way. Help us to realize that there is a power in us that's greater than the power of sin. And I pray that we'll begin to redirect our energies and say yes to you and no to the other things in our lives that we feel attracted to, but we recognize they're a dead end and they bring death and destruction and alienation and brokenness. And I just pray today that you would deliver us from the evil one and all of his designs, Father, that we would embrace your pathway. We'd walk in your way. We would live a victorious Christian life, that we would be set free from addictions and bondages, Lord. We just believe for that today. You would give us the right attitude, that we would be a joy-filled people, that we would leave here, Lord, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but rather filled with joy and hope because you're with us and you are greater than our problems. You're with us, you're with us in the circumstance. Your grace is more than sufficient for what we're experiencing right now. And we thank you for that grace, that beautiful grace that we, we can receive moment by moment, day by day. Everything we need is there for the taking, and it comes from you. Deliver us from self-pity. Deliver us from blame. Deliver us, oh God, from an unforgiving heart. Help us to realize that everything that's coming our way that you've designed in such a way so that we can grow and develop and become more mature and more spiritually attuned and more vibrant in our faith and more fruitful and more effective. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.